Getting an interview with Margaret Atwood was a lesson from The Handmaid's Tale. Atwood and I spoke at the same event, but the host organization prevented me from talking to her, even threatening me a little. Nevertheless, I persisted. Atwood was brilliant and funny at the event. You can tell if a person is smart by her level of wit. The more acerbic, the smarter. Atwood is off the charts. After being thwarted at the event, I told the story to my best friend in Canada, Amber MacArthur. She knew both Atwood and her agent and helped make the interview happen a few weeks later. So this is Margaret Atwood, writer, poet, speaker, and predictor of the future, two-time Booker Award winner. By the way, this podcast contains a touch of profanity. Yes, that's right, Atwood let an F-bomb fly. She is an inspiration to everyone who is trying to resist a dystopian, theocratic, fascist society. All I can say is thank God, the living, sympathetic, empathetic, inclusive, truthful God for Margaret Atwood. This is Guy Kawasaki, and this is Remarkable People. And now, here is Margaret Atwood. Would your English teacher in high school say, I knew Margaret Atwood would be this kind of writer, this kind of success? Okay. I had a couple of English teachers in high school. Would any, would any of them think that? Okay, so my favorite was called Miss Florence Medley. Miss Florence Medley had long, white, floating hair, and she used to revolve in a circle while reciting Kubla Khan mm-hmm. from memory. She made a deep impression on me. And they came back years ago to do a documentary section on me once I was, quote, famous. Uh, And they asked her that English teacher question, and she said, quite admirably, she she showed no particular promise in my class. (laughs) So usually, of course, you get, oh, yes, I knew it once. She was so talented, et cetera. But but in this case, Miss Florence Medley was correct. I wasn't showing any particular talent in her class. I was too busy watching her revolve around the <laughs> circle. <laughs> and, but and, my next, but my next English teacher, called Miss Bessie Billing, uh, was uh, quite keen on what I was by then writing, and uh, I wrote a short story about Miss Bessie Billings, her real name, and it is called My Last Duchess, and uh, that was her teaching style. She was she was quite a famous. English teacher. Um, she sort of hauled you by the back hairs through the uh, curriculum that we had to do in order to pass this terrifying set of exams that was going on in the 50s. And she was awfully good at it. And would she say? So I, she I kept knew? in touch with her in, in later years, and she was very keen on my, my then accomplishments. But she's also the one who famously said about a poem of mine that I showed her. Well, I can't stand, I can't understand a word of this, dear, so it must be good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, I love that story. Wait a minute. (laughs) No, I don't think so. Uh, Yes, anyway, she she was quite encouraging. I've I've ri- I've seen and read things where you say you knew you wanted to be a writer at 16. Uh, yes, I did, but of course I was I was quite ing- ignorant of what that might have, might involve. I knew nothing about publishing. I knew nothing about 
uh, any of the the processes. And, and uh, that was because Canada in those years was very much a, a backwater, and we hardly had a, a native publishing um, industry then. Well, if you had known it, what you're getting into, would you have continued? Probably yes, but more advisably. <laughs> I mean, I, I was so lacking in knowledge of anything that I, I went and got a copy of Writer's Market. And uh, yeah. writers' markets listed at the back all of the kinds of writing that you could sell, and how much you would get paid for it. And uh, none of them were the kinds of things that I really wanted to do. But it was it was basically magazine markets, and the ones that paid the most were true romance magazines. So I thought I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong as it turned out, I, I couldn't. <laughs> I thought I was going to write true romance stories. Of the kind, the magazine would have a girl with a tear coming out of her eye on the, in the foreground, and then there would be a different girl with a young man in the background, and that was the plot. Oh, God. Uh, I <laughs> thought, I can do this. But, but you actually have to have a... Um, you, you can't just do it cold, as it turns out. I, can, I could think of the plot, but I could not. I could not believe in them. And so how did you make this transition? From what to what? Well, from, you know, reading magazines about romance novels to becoming what you are. Okay, well, the, the romance no, the, the, <laughs> the true romance stories were a failure. That, that was not going to be how I was going to make my living. So I, I did end up, after a flirtation with being a journalist, from which I was dissuaded by a second cousin who really was a journalist, and who said, if you work for a newspaper, you will write the ladies' pages and the obituaries. Remember, it was the mid-50s. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I don't want to do that. So I, I hide-hoed off to university and took um, English literature. I have written 15 books. I know you've written about 60, but I'm very curious about your craft of writing. So do you use a computer? Do you write on longhand? How, how do I, you... I, I usually kick off in longhand because that is, in fact, um, how I learned. And uh, my, my career, my, my wrong career choice in high school was that I didn't take touch typing. I should have taken something called secretarial sciences, mm -hmm. and that would have been typing in shorthand, but I, but I did not. You know, a funny story, I can tell you that uh, Jane Goodall took secretarial skills when she was young, and that enabled her to get a job with the Leakies, which enabled her to get to Africa, and the rest is history. So, Well, you see, that, that is, uh, I, I believe that, and... Um, I can see how that all would have worked, but I, I thought I was going to go into home economics. So um, I was in that stream rather than the secretarial science. 
Oh. So you want you want your zipper fix? I can do that for you. <laughs> to this day, I just I just can't touch type. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw you using a Macintosh. You looked okay with the. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's four fingers though. Okay. Um, so I have to look, and and computers were a great help to me because you can correct those typos. Do you? So you never work from an outline. You just start writing complete sentences. Yeah. I I did try working from an outline once. It was a failure. So once once I'm quite thoroughly into it, I start pushing things around and rearranging them, and that starts looking like a pattern. But I I, I need to get in first. Uh, how do you push things around and rearrange them if they're all on paper? Well, it used to be called cutting and pasting. <laughs> I mean, actually, is scissors and scotch tape or paste. So you can cut chunks of type out and stick them in other places. You can do that on a computer quite easily. Yes. Do you have a a discipline where you get up in the morning and you write first before you get distracted? You know, I, would really, I would really like to have all those things you're supposed to have, but it's too late. Um, I'm afraid it's pretty haphazard. Planes are good. Airplanes? Trains are good. Trains are good if they're not too rattly. Because there's no distractions? You got it. Huh. Yeah, when people ask me, well, where do you write? I usually tell them, well, United 3A is my best place. So, um, which is a United lot. United 3A. <laughs> which, it's a lot better than United 35J. So. You, you like the window seat. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm with you. Yes, I like the window seat, too. Um, and do you work with a content editor or someone breathing down your neck or you just turn it in and say, you know, I marked no, that? No, I, I, I finished the manuscript. And I, I finished the draft. Okay. Then it goes to um, two kinds of people. My, my agent, my agent and, and um, editors on the one hand and on the other hand, people who just like to read books. And they tell you what and what happens? They tell me... Depending on what's in the book, I sometimes get experts in the field. So, mm -hmm. for instance, when I had a a book with history, 19th century history of Toronto in it, I had a friend who was an historian, and he read it and he said, that's not who was in Toronto at that time. Mm -hmm. There weren't any Italians, but there were some Germans. So I changed the demographics, okay. things like that. Okay. Or, for instance... Uh, I wrote a book in which the narrator was a young man with commitment issues. So I got a reader who was a young man with commitment issues to see what he thought of it. And he said the following. He gave me two tips. He said, um, first of all, don't say what in the fuck. Say what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and second, you he, said, he said... That's not how you smoke a joint. <laughs> but then I said, but what do you think of the, per you know, how did I do the the character? What do you think of that? And he said, well, hmm, 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 hmm. And then he said, how did you know? <laughs> so I took that as a yes. But but earlier on, I had I had another male narrator, and I gave it to the man, and he gave me a very good tip which I wouldn't have thought of. He said, you cannot 
shave off a full beard with an electric razor. Ah. Ah. Uh, so you have to cut it with a scissors first? Uh, well, you have to cut it with a straight razor. Uh-huh. That'll take it off. But if you if you start with the electric razor, it'll just get all snarled up. Huh. So electric razors are just good for close shaves. And I'm surprised you didn't know that. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, what can I say? I could never grow a beard. I just, I don't have enough well, testosterone. Well, there you are. Yeah. You've, never, <laughs> you've never had to have that experience. You know, I learned something every day, Margaret. So Yeah, no, so, so did I. And, and luckily, I, I could then change that part of the text. Well, because you know if you make a mistake like that, you're going to get a lot of once upon a time letters now. Yeah. Uh, social media beginning, you idiot. Don't you know anything? <laughs> uh, I'm going to read you a short passage from Handmaid's Tale. So she was fumbling in her robe for her pass and they thought she was hunting for a bomb. They thought she was a man in disguise. So basically you wrote that, you know, 30 some odd years ago. Yuppers. Yeah, and, you know, like, how do you come up with something like that that was, like, it's you, George Orwell, and Arthur C. Clarke. I mean, what special gift do you possess that makes well, you come up with something like that? It, it's nothing new. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 uh, patterns that repeat. So George Orwell called his book 1984 because essentially he was writing about 1948. Mm-hmm. He was writing about Stalinism, and he was writing about what what that would feel like if it were in England. And um, Arthur C. Clarke, are you thinking of how the computer or? Or which of his creations? Yeah, that one. Yes, Hal. Hmm. I mean, they're... yeah. Well, people were already worried about that. Yeah. And uh, Fahrenheit four five one, another one. Yeah. So I, I read a lot of those books in the fifties. So are you saying that it's it's not a special gift? You were just observant of history? I, I think it's a special interest. Okay. It's a special interest. So you if you have that special interest, you were you were noticing things that other people might not um, be be aware of or attracted to or might not notice. If you're interested in dogs, you're gonna notice all the dogs <laughs> on the street and other people might just not see them. Well or um, if you're interested in fascisms and authoritarianisms you you're interested in the symptoms i will offer you uh, if you ever write a book where there's an aspect of tech or nerds or geeks or silicon valley yeah. i'll be happy to be your your reader to tell you, <laughs> you know, it's, i know it's, some of them already it's, it's i not, even know some girl ones it's not um, it's not the macintosh it's macintosh for example exactly <laughs> yes no well yes okay. i have some of those. i have some of those in my family i volunteer okay do, do you see so the, you weren't a, you weren't a coder 
No, not at all. I was, no, 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 no. I was an evangelist and, and, and not evangelical. Okay, evangelist. So my job. So you're was, in the you're in the you're a front man. <laughs> yeah, well, I yeah. I take that as the insult you meant it, but it was my job to convince people to write Macintosh software and hardware for the Macintosh division. So. Uh-huh. That's so come I mean. into our company and do this thing. Yes. So I got my first one when they when they just had floppy disks. Oh. They had the tiny okay. little window and they had the floppy yeah. disks that would get stuck. <laughs> and then you would have to use the hairpin to get them out. Oh, my God. You're bringing back memories. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, you know about Hal the paperclip? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> you mean the paper clip that you unbend to stick into the hole to pop no, out the disk? Okay, so so once upon a time on one of the programs there was a there was a little guy in a box who would come and dance around on the screen when you were um having problems and he would particularly say things like, You seem to be trying to write a letter. How may I help you? And then he would jump up and down. It was a it was a cartoon image. This is... But there was another one called Hal the Paperclip that would similarly appear and, and, and try to give you a hand. <laughs> and it had a great big googly. You don't remember this? No, I don't. <laughs> Maybe I never had trouble. <laughs> Maybe you didn't. Yes, I, I never somehow got that program, but I did just to get the little guy in the box and uh, I was quite fond of it. That's funny. That's funny. Do, do you think the impact of fiction is increasing or decreasing? What with all the social media and everything else that's happening? Fiction. Fiction. Um, I think it's increasing. And why? Why? Well, it seems everybody wants to be a writer. <laughs> yeah. So I refer you to a social platform called uh, Wattpad. Mm -hmm. You know about it? Uh, it's a, like a platform for people to write books and they help you structure uh, things. It's and a story-sharing site, so yeah. they typically write in installments. They're typically quite yeah. young, mm -hmm. and they can do it on their phones. Mm -hmm. And it has a huge membership. So mm -hmm. I, I, I think of those kinds of things as literacy aids. So they, they help people to be interested in reading and writing. I have to say, I'm so impressed you know all about that kind of stuff. And... and and in your talk at the Facebook event, you talked about a, a product called, I think it's Stasher or Stash. It's that uh, plastic sandwich oh, bag that you Stasher. S-T-A-S-H-E-R, Stasher. Yeah, yeah, highly recommended. I know. Made of silicone. When you, when you mentioned that, uh, I know people who know the people at Stasher. And I said, oh, you've got to tell them that Margaret talked about your program. I mean, your your product uh, on... on uh, yeah, I could be an influencer, just thinking about You could. You could be the next Kim Kardashian. <laughs> it's yeah, never I too late. Yeah, I could myself up and do YouTubes and, and uh, sell hot new products. It's... Uh, it's never too late. Uh, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> do, you, do you think that, particularly with Handmaid's Tale, do you think that serialized TV is the new novel? Um, serialized TV is the new Cinemaplex movie. Mm -hmm. Cineplex mm -hmm. movie with surround sound. It is, um, it is a format that enables novels that have been translated to the screen to be the length that they really are. So with 90 minutes, if you take War and Peace and try to get into 90 <laughs> minutes, you're going to have a problem. Yes. 
any sort of long novels, and a lot of 19th century novels were long because they were essentially like long serial TV shows. You, you couldn't read the mm-hmm. whole thing at one setting. Mm-hmm. So you would read it in installments. And the the serialized, uh, web-streamed format is, is much better for them than, than trying to cram them into a 90-minute film. Okay. So it's given a whole new lease of life to to the filming of long novels. Does, Game of Thrones, uh, just for example. I yeah. mean, it's a it's a multi-volume series. You could never get you never be, begin to get it into ninety minute film. Which gives you greater satisfaction, someone who reads The Handmaid's Tale or someone who watches it? You know, it actually doesn't matter. Uh-huh. Because uh, once you've finished your your work uh, and send it out into the world, you're not there when people are watching or reading. The person whose satisfaction counts at that point is theirs. What does the Margaret Atwood binge watch? What do I watch? Binge watch, in the sense that you watch the what whole. What do I binge watch? Okay, yeah. so right now I'm I'm watching uh, an an older one called. Benedict Cumberbatch playing Sherlock Holmes. Uh huh. From a while ago. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But what my pals are all telling me that I have to watch is something called The Crown. <laughs> they're they're very keen on it, and I have I have stored up something called The Wire, which I'm told by younger people I probably won't understand. <laughs> The, the, I'm willing to give it. I'm willing to give it a try. The wire, as in the thing in Baltimore about the prison and the drug trade and all that. Yeah, yeah, that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and they say it's very rapid fire. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know, Margaret. Right now we're at 29 minutes, and I was told 20 minutes. So I don't know if you know. I don't want to wear out my welcome. I have more questions for you, but um, you don't. You don't want to hear about how I'm. My computer on a plane by mistake because I I was watching Captain Underpants. <laughs> I'll take that story anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I got it back. I got it back. <laughs> you did? I did. Thanks to the magic of direct message on Twitter. And, uh, okay, so this is a good story in and of itself because typically it takes days and days. It has to flow from the maintenance department to the lost and found and lost and found has to categorize it and... And how long did it take you? Well, you are obviously not a person of modern time. (laughs) (laughs) I beg to differ. So how long did it take you? It took me two hours. What airline is this? I'm going to start flying on that airline. (laughs) Okay. So the the secret is, and I found this out when I, I had to escape a blizzard in England. Yeah. Just keep in mind that they don't have snow tires there. Yeah. <laughs> and nor snow plows at the Norwich Airport, which was where we were stuck. So we actually uh, uh, joy rode with some other cash paying people in a taxi to Heathrow. Yeah. And off to the last plane out. So um, we had been going to go from, from there to, to Amsterdam on KLM. So I needed to get my. My, my KLM ticket money back, and mm-hmm. I was told by them the best way to do that is through direct messaging, not through some form you fill out, because direct messaging is manned 24-7 or <laughs> personed 24-7. 
Well, <laughs> uh, because if there's a horrible thing happening, they need to be able to deal with it right now. Uh, so I instead of going on the online forum that that was not going to get it back, I direct messaged Air Canada. And these charming people responded to me with many a smiling face and and uh, uh, thumbs up sign. I, I would. <laughs> Every night. I would. And uh, we drove. We drove out <laughs> Italy, uh, and uh, somebody met us right there at at, at arrival. Oh my God! Um, there, there it was. Well, Margaret, I, I think being. The verified Twitter account of the real Margaret Atwood may have had something to do that, with that. that, that that's Instagram. <laughs> yeah, on Twitter, I'm just Margaret Atwood. You're not verified on Twitter? I am verified, but not as the real Margaret Atwood. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no, I had, to kick out a, I had to kick a couple of other Margaret Atwoods off when I joined. Oh, my. They, they, my. Were, they were pretending to be me. Huh. <laughs> they weren't being unpleasant, but they were being much more sentimental than I would be. Well, by that stretch of the imagination, does fan fiction bother you then? Fan, a lot of classic literature has been, in fact, fan fiction. Yes. So Shakespeare's Troilus and Cressida is fan fiction. Uh-huh. And, and it was just, it was normal for hundreds and of years for people to redo uh, earlier myths and stories. Yeah. Do you... So no, it doesn't bother me at all. Okay. Uh, because let it let it rip. <laughs> do Do you think that Shakespeare was a woman? Don't be silly. <laughs> well, there is that no, theory. I don't, I don't think Shakespeare was Francis Bacon, and I don't think Shakespeare was the Earl of something or other. Uh, I think Shakespeare was exactly who. Ben Johnson said he was. <laughs> he was actor, director, producer, uh, who worked in early Elizabethan theater. Okay. Okay. Just checking. I, I saw in many of your interviews that you are a staunch uh, agnostic. So I'm I, strict. I, no, I'm a strict agnostic. Okay. Okay. Strict agnostic. What does that mean? What it means is that you cannot present as knowledge something that is actually believed. Mm hmm. And that's what it means, period. Okay. So with that, uh, that eliminates a lot. What is your moral compass? compass is a different thing. That's yeah. not a question of of knowledge. Uh-huh. That's, that's a matter of how you were brought up. Uh-huh. Okay, so my, I was brought up by pretty, um, I wouldn't say strict, but um, people who did believe that honesty was the best policy. So it's your it's your parental influence. Oh, I would I would say most people do, don't you? Yes, 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think there are two questions you should ask of any any proposition or or situation that comes before you of a problematic nature. And the first question is, is it true? And if it is true, is it fair? sense of uh, just is it just. just okay is it fair i think by those two questions we can answer almost any question right we can certainly interrogate anything that comes before us yes yes um so if the answer to is it true is no it's not true um then you can also then say if it's not true is it fair that people are acting as if it is true is it fair that they're doing these things even though it's not true. So was it true that 19 people were practicing witchcraft in Salem, Massachusetts? No, it was not true. Was it fair that they got hanged? No, it was not fair. Is it true that women are intellectually inferior uh, by nature of their gender to men and capable of nothing but gibberish and can't reason? No, it is not true. (laughs) Is it Therefore, fair that they should be treated that way. <laughs> no, it is not fair. No, Do you get the gist? Yes. Is it true that all men are rapists? No, it is not true that all men are rapists. Is it fair to treat them as if they are? No, it is not fair. The, uh, do you think that um, all men are flawed? All people are flawed. Okay. Why is okay. it that... All people are flawed. Men are people. Therefore, all men are flawed. <laughs> that's but a, that's similarly. A yeah. All people are flawed. Uh, all women are people. Therefore, all women are flawed. So we're all flawed. Why is this a problem? Nobody's perfect. Do, do you think that uh, bad people create bad times or bad times create bad people? Oh, it's a feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Some of both. So do you see a way out of this mess that we're in? Of course. And? Well, I'm thinking of doing something called the Blog of Hope. And on the blog of hope, I will put all of the hopeful things and all of the ways out of the mess. Now, by mess, which particular bit of the mess are you talking about? Because it's multifaceted mess. Misogynism, racism, women's rights being trampled on, anti-intellectualism, anti-science, you know, just that particular mess. The whole shooting match. Um, Well, let's just cut to the chase and say, unless we solve the warming and acidification of the oceans, none of that's going to matter. True. Okay. Um, so so that's one way out. <laughs> we all die. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> the ultimate solution, yeah, so to speak. The rest of it, let's just take the, the women's rights part. I believe in working for structural change, and that is why we did the launch of the Testament with an organization called Equality Now. And Equality Now works on changing laws that have to do with uh, women and girls to make them uh, fairer and more equitable. So so that's, that's one of the ways that you uh, address the mess. You, you can't legislate a change in people's opinions, but by changing laws to make them fairer, you give people the idea that it's it's more right than not right. 
to treat people in this fair way. I want to thank you, of course. I also want I want to reiterate my offer to uh, somehow connect you and Jane Goodall because my God, you you two would just rock the earth and love each other. So yeah, we we already love each other. (laughs) And uh, my last statement to you, of course, besides my gratitude, is that uh, I do believe that you are a Canadian who has the right to brag. Okay. Oh, you think so? Absolutely. I I may have the right. But but I'm also quite prudent. I know that that would come at a cost. This was a delightful interview to conduct. I love Atwood's message and appreciate her efforts to prevent the end of the world. Her latest book is The Testaments. It won Atwood her second Booker Award. Read it and spread its message to help prevent making America Gilead again. This is Guy Kawasaki, and this is Remarkable People. Mahalo to Amber MacArthur and Lucia Sino for making this interview happen. No thanks to the people who prevented access to Atwood in Canada. This podcast was produced by Jeff C. and marketing goddess Peg Fitzpatrick. Next week's guest is Wee Man, the star of Jackass, the MTV and movie series, and the only guest who questioned the existence of this podcast. This is Remarkable People.